Welcome to Engage Arizona. America will be transfixed December 1st when the U.S. Supreme Court hears arguments in the Dobbs case. Will the court finally overturn Roe? How else could the court rule and what would be the impact? One expert attorney experienced in constitutional law expects a ruling that at least undermines Roe. A number of other pro-life cases are teed up ready to take it from there, which shows that even after almost 50 years, Roe is not settled law. Here now is Kathy Herod with Kevin Terrio. On Engage Arizona, our guest today is Kevin Terrio. Kevin Terrio serves as Senior Counsel and Vice President of the Center for Life with Alliance Defending Freedom, where he directs the work of team members working to overturn Roe v. Wade, defend pro-life speech, and battle against physician-assisted suicide. Kevin joined ADF in 2003. He's admitted to the bar, meaning he can practice law in eight states, the U.S. Supreme Court of the United States, and numerous federal and appellate courts. Between ADF and CAP, CAP advocates for pro-life legislation that ADF can defend in court. ADF often helps us with drafting of laws, testimonies, then assisting in the defense of those laws. 48 years since Roe v. Wade, today we have real hope that we will see the end of Roe v. Wade possibly as early as next June. I've been sharing how there are three paths in the courts to overturn or challenge Roe and move the pro-life movement forward and protect babies and their mothers. There's the Dobbs um, case from Mississippi before the U.S. Supreme Court today, the anti-discrimination bans, and the Texas heartbeat law. So, Kevin, welcome to Engage Arizona. Thanks for having me, Kathy. It's great to be on with you. Well, let's start with the Dobbs case. And first, um, to give the context, what did the U.S. Supreme Court really rule in Roe versus Wade? Well, they found a right to abortion in the United States Constitution. And, uh, of course, uh, it had never been in there before. It's certainly not expressly in there. Um, But they used the right to privacy in the 14th Amendment that um, really wasn't designed for that to essentially discover a right to abortion for women. And they didn't say that states have no ability to regulate abortion. Um, They said that states can do that. Um, But uh, essentially between uh, Roe v. Wade and then um, the Casey case that that came down about 20 years later, um, the court said that uh, states have very limited ability to regulate abortion pre-viability um, but after viability, states can um, can regulate abortion and, and essentially ban. So, when you say pre-viability, so many people believe that via that viability is at twenty four weeks. We have at least two abortion providers in the state of Arizona that advertise that they will do abortions uh, up to twenty three weeks and six days. But viability, there's not a set time for viability, right? There's not, and babies have survived outside the womb. There's there's evidence that some are as as low as 21 weeks, but experts now put the number at right around 22 weeks. It's certainly before 24 weeks, and certainly before 26 weeks, which was about what it was when uh, Roe v. Wade was handed down. So it just goes to show you that it's um, not a really good line in, at which to have a legal standard. Well, and with viability, of course, we've seen states in recent years try to uh, really move that you could have abortion up until the day of delivery. But really, since Roe, when you add the Doe v. Bolton case, a woman could say that because of her health, she needs to have an abortion really up until the time of delivery. 
That's right. And we're one of only four nations in the world that allow that. And, of course, that um, puts us uh, in company with, uh, with uh, countries like North Korea and China, which is uh, very discouraging from the pro-life perspective. And tragic. Well, so, so what is the Dobbs case? What, Mississippi limits abortions after 15 weeks? That's right. Um, Mississippi believes that every human life is valuable and deserves to be protected. And so they, um, they regulated uh, abortion prior to, after 15 weeks, and limited only to situations where um, there, there's a uh, danger to the mother in emergency situations. And uh, and they said that uh, we have an interest in protecting the unborn life. We have an interesting interest in protecting women from the more dangerous abortion procedures um, that um, occur at 15 weeks and the additional harm that women have uh, been shown to uh, experience as a result of late-term abortion. And it also protects the medical profession because the barbaric nature of the, the uh DNA procedure at 15 weeks is much like uh, partial birth abortion where the baby's torn limb, limb from limb um, really undermines the integrity of what doctors have taken an oath to do, and that's to protect life. You bring up a critical point that I never want to overlook, that we are as concerned about the mother's health and safety as we are about the life of her unborn child. And I've often said if we're not as concerned about the woman walking into the abortion clinic we might as well pack it up and go home because we want to love them both and we see two victims, and that's critical. Um, so anything magical about 15 weeks or just that that was a, a point to try to t- test the viability issue? Well, it's, it's a little bit of both. Um, certainly 15 weeks is pre-viability, so hopefully we can get the court to move beyond what it said in 1992 in the Casey case that said, well, um, states have very limited ability to regulate abortion prior to viability. And, uh, but it also makes sense from the humanity of the child standard, as reflected by 90% of the countries worldwide, which don't allow elective abortion in the, uh, after 12 weeks. And so 15 weeks is actually fairly generous. But uh, a baby at that time uh, has, is, is almost fully developed. I mean, they, have, they can hear her mother's heartbeat. They, uh, can, they have hiccups sometimes. They have uh, eyelids and fingernails. And, and, uh, and, of course, you can see on an ultrasound with today's modern-day technology uh, that it's a baby. You can even tell um, which parent the baby looks like at that stage. Amazing to think of that. Well, we attorneys often say that the U.S. Supreme Court doesn't take a case without there being a split in the circuits. But my understanding is Mississippi is the only state that has passed the 15-week limit and that the Supreme Court took this case without there being a split in the circuit courts of appeal. Am I right on that? Yes. I think that it's not the only state that has has passed pre-viability restrictions, as you're aware of the 16 weeks, but there have been others that uh, this, I'm sorry, I said 16 weeks, six weeks, uh, the, the heartbeat oh, true, pills. But, um, but uh, uh, Arkansas passed a 18-week law, and also uh, Utah did too. So they're very similar, they're pre-viability. And then there are several um, states around that have passed uh, 20-week prohibitions, um, which are pre-viability still. Um, as long as they're calculated properly. So, um, but I think you're right. There, 
there wasn't a clear circuit split. I think what you have here, though, is the court interested in um, saying, all right, we, we allowed the Congress, federal Congress, to regulate partial birth abortion um, because of the barbarity of the procedure. And that was pre-viability. Um, can we expand that to a similar situation in 15 weeks? When you mentioned 20-week bans, that's still a sore spot with me that Arizona Arizona passed a 20-week ban a number of years ago, and the infamous Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals overturned it and were one of the only states that had a 20-week ban um, not go into effect um, because of the courts. So uh, it's another reason why we're really interested in Dobbs. Well, in the Dobbs case, obviously, it's, it, you know, there's so much attention being given to it. Um, 81 briefs, I think, um, filed on our side. ADF was a big part of coordinating a number of those. Um, just so everyone knows, I signed one, um, was, was blessed and privileged to sign one with 240 professional women and pro-life female organizations to represent a female viewpoint to counter what the pro-abortion crowd always says about women. Um, Center for Arizona Policy signed on with our Family Policy Council allies, um, putting forth a legal theory on the Ninth Amendment that's a, a little bit different than what you'd hear. Our Arizona Governor Doug Ducey, our Attorney General Mark Brnovich, a number of state legislators all signed the briefs. And so that really signals the importance of the Dobbs case that how many pro-lifers really joined in to argue before the U.S. Supreme Court. And the Mississippi Attorney General flat out asked the court to overturn both Roe and Casey, as we all want to see happen. But so share with us the different, what, there are four possible outcomes of what the court could do in Dobbs. How do you see the, out, the possible outcomes? Well, sure. Um, the Probably the, the, the first one you've already mentioned, it's probably the least likely one, and that they will just flat overturn Roe v. Wade. Uh, we don't think that the court is ready to do that based upon um, the experts that we have on our team and the ones that we work with. Uh, but we do think that the court might. Um, so that's certainly a, a very possible outcome. Another one is the court would do something with the viability rule. It would say that states have more power to regulate abortion um, pre-viability um, than they have in the past. And so it would undermine or change the test um, that it set forth in the Casey case. Um, another thing the court could do is it could say that um, there's been several, even though the Supreme Court has never said that pre-viability abortions are presumptive, uh, I'm sorry, pre-viability uh, regulations on abortions are presumptively unconstitutional. As a matter of fact, it upheld several of them in the Casey case. Um, the courts of appeal have adopted that rule. And I think the court could could say, no, that's not the rule at all. The state states really do have a significant interest in uh, protecting uh, unborn life. And, um, and as long as they have a rational reason for doing so, um, they can regulate abortion. And, and so it's not a really high constitutional test. And what they can do in that instance is say um, that uh, we need to, we, we will uphold this law and say that it certainly um, satisfies that interest. Um, and then the, the fourth thing that they could do, or, or the fourth, uh, there are lots of other subcategories, but the fourth uh, probably most likely thing they could do um, is, uh, oh, incidentally, and if they, if they were on that last scenario, if the court were to say, look, um, states can regulate, it would probably send the case back down to the trial court to say, let's reevaluate this and let the court put on its proof 
um, to show why it has an interest in protecting babies and mothers in the medical profession. And then, of course, the last possible scenario is it could um, it could it could strike down the law and leave the law as it is, and leave the the, the abortion um, law as it is in the same state as it is. And we think that's probably the most likely, most unlikely uh, scenario. So let's do what um, attorneys should never do and handicap the justices a little bit. And this is where you may say, uh-uh, I ain't going to do it, but let's just try. Um, so first, Sotomayor, Breyer, Kagan, likely to be totally against Mississippi law, I, I think we all assume. Yeah, we, I think that's, that's a safe assumption. Um, but but you, ne- you never know. I mean, when, when justices see the writing on the wall, sometimes they're willing to um, compromise a bit in order to avoid a really uh, a ruling that will be um, more extreme in their eyes. Um, and, and I could see the Justice Kagan possibly and maybe Justice Breyer um, coming uh, in with some sort of a compromise with the Chief Justice um, to try to avoid um, overturning Roe or giving states more power um, than uh, a lot more power to regulate abortion. So I, I certainly don't want to write them off. They're, obviously, they have their reasoned and, um, and very smart justices, and um, it's possible um, that they might uh, they might sign it on to something um, a little less extreme than just upholding Roe and Casey in all aspects. Well, I mean, Justices Thomas and Alito have signaled a number of times that they would overturn Roe. They have, and so we expect them to um, to sign on to an opinion that uh, that that probably recommends overturning Roe if does if it doesn't if it doesn't eventually if it doesn't overturn Roe this time. And then uncertainty about where Gorsuch, Barrett, and Kavanaugh will land. Absolutely, um, I think uh, they they've not been on the court long enough to to, to rule on these kind of cases. So we really don't know where they stand. We certainly have an idea based upon um, their uh, previous rulings as courts of appeals judges that uh, that they believe uh, that Roe was wrongly decided. But just because you believe Roe was wrongly decided doesn't mean that it should be overturned because of the court's interest in stare decisis, the upholding of precedent, and making sure that um, the court isn't perceived as just this body that changes with every election. It's not, it's not, a, it's not supposed to be a political body. So we know the court's going to hear this case on December 1st, I assume 8 o'clock a.m. Arizona time, um, if it's 10 o'clock Eastern time, if they go in at their regular hour, but I don't know if we have the time yet, but it's December 1st. Will people be able to listen to the audio now with the court's new procedure so anyone in Arizona on December 1st could listen to the court's hearing? As far as I know, that's my understanding. Okay. Um, yes. Well, and I plan to be there. I plan to be there at the rally on the steps of the U.S. Supreme Court as they hear this historic decision to pray, to show support. And so if any listeners are interested in going to Washington, D.C. and being there on December 1st, let us know because we will be um, – rallying with people from all over the country, uh, rallying but mostly to pray and to just be there um, to support the lawyers and those who are arguing for unborn children and their mothers. So one question before we move on to a couple of other areas in this um, arena. In Arizona, we still have the law in the books 
that was before Roe versus Wade that says abortion is not legal except to save the life of the mother. Um, then, of course, we now have a new law that's being challenged in court that grants the unborn child the rights and privileges of every citizen subject to court decisions. So if Roe versus Wade is overturned um, and Casey is overturned, then does that mean that our pre-Roe law that says abortion is not legal, will that spring back into effect and then we get a state constitutional challenge or just, you know, what, I mean, to me, what, what hope is there or do we have any idea what to expect that day after Roe versus Wade is overturned? Yes, it should spring back into effect unless there are some technical laws that I'm not aware of that prohibit that from happening. And then, of course, I think you're right. We would expect um, a challenge in state court to try uh, to uh, get the courts in Arizona to recognize a right to abortion um, that is more uh, that is more extreme than what the federal court will recognize in possibly this next decision it does. So lots of hope on the on the horizon. So let's talk. Let's switch to a couple of other areas in the a couple of other laws that are in the courts. What is, I believe, called anti-discrimination bans, which is what Arizona passed along. This is uh, an area where we had significant help from ADF on the legislative team. Denise Burke testified in favor of the Arizona passing a ban on genetic abnormality. You guys uh, are likely be involved in that case. We know that Judge Douglas Reyes recently ruled that the law was likely to be unconstitutional, and he stopped it from going into effect. Um, Attorney General Brnovich will be appealing that to the Ninth Circuit. But tell us, uh, you know, what the thinking is on these um, laws that prohibit abortions. I mean, we know the ones Arizona already has in effect, uh, that you cannot do an abortion solely because of the race or sex of the baby. Then we tried to add genetic conditions. What, what is that, how does that fit into the strategy of trying to go after Roe, or what's the hope for those laws, other than obviously to save unborn babies? Um, but just from a legal standpoint, how do those make a difference? Well, as we discussed earlier, we really think that the Dobbs case with the 15-week um, regulation will likely be the first step in undermining and, and possibly overturning Roe, and uh, because it will um, allow states, hopefully, to regulate uh, abortion uh, before viability in a way that is that is not so limited. Um, but just as Thomas signaled in a case uh, last year that uh, out of Indiana, that uh, prohibiting, uh, allowing abortion um, for discriminatory purposes, like to for sex selection or because of the race of the unborn baby or because the baby has Down syndrome, um, is dabbling in or furthering eugenics. And they, uh, we don't allow discriminate discrimination based upon these characteristics outside of the womb. Why should we allow it inside of the womb? And of course, allowing um, babies to be killed because they have one of these characteristics um, is uh, undermines their, uh, their, their their dignity and undermines the dignity of people that are already born. Um, that have that, for instance, Down syndrome. So um, we really think that the court is poised, and it signaled. It wasn't just Justice Thomas, but some other justices signaled that they are very interested in that type of case. And we think that a eugenics prohibition, uh, abortion for eugenics purposes, and uh, that this allows discrimination. Um, we think that might be the next case up. That might be the final nail in the coffin for Roe v. Wade. 
And one circuit court of appeals has already upheld, was it Ohio's law prohibiting abortions because of Down syndrome, that the cir- Federal Circuit Court of Appeal upheld that law? Do I have that right? You got that right. And the Eighth Circuit is considering um, Missouri's law right now. Um, so uh, so you, you already have a split in the circuit between the Seventh Circuit and the Sixth Circuit, and those, those are the types of Uh, As you alluded to earlier, those are the types of situations where the Supreme Court likes to weigh in. So, yes, this could be a very important case here in Arizona. So then the the last kind of path of what's going on in the courts is, of course, the Texas heartbeat law. And I always think it's very critical to point out that the Texas heartbeat law is different than any other heartbeat law that has been passed or you know, at least passed in, in the courts, to my knowledge, and I'm not sure if other states, how much at, prior to Texas, how many had really considered it, because Texas has that private citizen enforcement action. So far, the courts seem to not know how to deal with that, that there's no one to sue. So just thoughts, and, and certainly um, the um, interest in Arizona has grown significantly since seeing the Texas law go into effect since September 1st. We know Texas, it's been against the law to provide abortions um, after the heartbeats detected in the unborn child. So just thoughts on like what, I mean, they're, they're trying desperately to find a way to get in the courts and get it overturned. But any thoughts on how the Texas heartbeat law plays into all of this? Well, sure. I think, first of all, heartbeat laws, including Texas heartbeat laws, demonstrate that Roe v. Wade is not this well-settled, well-accepted precedent that the other side makes it out to be. We continue to have legislatures like Texas and um, certainly Arizona that are regulating abortion in a way and, and signaling that they think that abortion is wrong. And incidentally, as you as you alluded to earlier, Arizona passed this law that says that um, it, you know that the policy of Arizona is a fight against conception. And that aspect of um, that new statute um, was not enjoined by the federal district judge and has been upheld. Similar uh, similar statutes have been upheld by the Supreme Court. So um, I think one of the important things about these six-week bills, about these laws, that um, the eugenics bills, about laws that say that the public policy is to respect life from the moment of conception in the state, those are, are uh, great evidence that Roe v. Wade has is is not so cemented in our culture so that it can't be overturned that's one of the factors that the court will consider um when it determines whether to, to overturn roe so so i think these six-week bills are um are a factor in that i do think that they are um a step too far at this point in our strategy um to overturn roe we don't think the court's ready to uphold a six-week bill a six-week uh, regulation on abortion yet um, which is what essentially a heartbeat, heartbeat is. Um, we think eventually the court will be there. Uh, but uh, the situation with Texas, with this private enforcement aspect of it, uh, we think that just delays the, um, the a court ruling that it's unconstitutional. So instead of the pro-abortionist being able to go into court in one fell swoop, get it ruled, uh, or at least preliminarily, unconstitutional and put a hold on it so it can't be enforced it's not going to have to litigate those cases one at a time and they don't want to do that because it's going to take a lot of effort on their behalf but once they start doing that i think we'll see that the courts um, will strike that law down those are very important points and in arizona you know we love the idea of the heartbeat a six-week limit but 
if the court's going to overturn Roe versus Wade in the next year, the next couple of years, because of these other cases that are in the court that are at the Supreme Court's doorstep and in the Supreme Court, then that means that our pre-Roe law goes back into effect. That's from the moment of conception. That's a lot right. better than six weeks. Um, and right. so, and I think that gets lost sometimes in the heartbeat discussion. And it's one a point that I've made for several years now is that our hope, our longing, is that yes, Roe is overturned. That we are uh, moving forward on a day after Roe versus Wade, and that we are arguing that our Arizona law prohibiting abortion from the moment of conception, except for the life of the mother, is back in effect. And then, then we get, and that springs back into effect right away. We'll get other court challenges, but we live to fight that day under our state constitution that does not, I mean, there's nothing in our state constitution that grants a right to an abortion. And that would be something in our state courts that we should be upheld. And, of course, as I mentioned that, that's why um, as we face a 2022 election with appointing, um, electing a new governor in the state of Arizona, once again, everyone, it's important um, who we elect as governor next year because that's the person that will be appointing um, future Arizona Supreme Court justices that could be dealing with a state constitutional issue on whether abortion should be legal in our state or not. So with that, um, Kevin, um, any closing thoughts? Um, we, we're so grateful for your work. Uh, no, I just really appreciate you having me on, and I would just encourage your listeners to pray for Scott Stewart, the Solicitor General in Mississippi, um, who will be arguing the case on December the 1st, and uh, pray that uh, the justices will um, have the courage to do justice like, they're, uh, like they were appointed to do. And confuse the opposition. <laughs> And yes. all things. So, well, thank you so much, Kevin, for, I mean, you were on the front lines every day um, reviewing abortion-related litigation, free speech, physician-assisted suicide. We're so grateful that we know that ADF is there fighting the good fight in this area, and that, um, and we're just grateful for our partnership. So, Lord bless you. Um, have um, We appreciate your work. Thank you. Thank you, Kathy, and thank you, too, for all the work you do with Kathy. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Engage Arizona, public policy for daily life. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe, rate, and give a review on any podcast platform you use. For more information, visit azpolicy.org.